Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. Moving on in our series of Blessed Are, we have uh, a guest speaker, guest preacher tonight, which we're really excited about. It's funny because I'm introducing him, but he's been here at this church much longer than me. But I, we were talking during mingle time and I was like, can I introduce you? And he's like, well, you don't have to. And and I was like, but it just feels very natural. Like I want to, because I want to honor him. Um, in the two months that I've known Aaron, I would just say that he's crazy creative. That's something that I just like admire about him so much. He's like, crazy creative human being. Um, he knows God's word like deeply, deeply. And he's somebody who like it, like God's word, like he knows it deeply and he lives it deeply. And um, I just have a lot of respect for him. So um, I want us all to go wild for Aaron Kajuma as he comes up. Hey, how you guys doing, YA? How's everyone feeling after all that chocolate? That's the real question. It's like, dang, some of you guys came in here holding hands. You weren't holding hands before. Praise God. Uh, some of you guys are only holding hands in prayer circles, and praise God for that. That's amazing. Um, God is good. Um, the last time I spoke, um, I believe I spoke on being fruitful and multiplying. Talked about the physical aspect and the spiritual aspect. Shared about how my wife and I were trying to have a baby and all that. And actually, guys, we are... At this point, eight months pregnant. So pretty crazy. God is good. So a few things have changed since we last saw each other in this context. The second thing is that uh, Pastor Drew Walton stepped into the role of high school pastor. I was a high school pastor for three years. And so uh, I am now our church's first online community pastor. So it's pretty cool to, to be that and whatnot. So... Tonight, though, we're going to be opening up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Have your Bibles, you can pull them out. Uh, if you're reading the NIV, praise God. If you're reading something like the message, we shall pray for you. So God is good. Um, we're going to be talking about ultimately today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, 5, 5 of Matthew, that blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, so they will inherit the earth. I'm going to warn you now as you go forward that I'm ultimately tonight going to do one thing. I'm going to push you and teach you and convince you and argue for the point that all of Christ is calling us and pushing us towards self-denial, that it's not about you, right? This message today is to cause you to fall on your knees, to come to a place where you're saying, Jesus, you are better, you are greater, and you are worth it. That's where we're going today. So what I'll ask you guys to do is allow me to pray. Is that okay? Then I'll jump into the text. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the power of your word. And thank you for uh, the fact that as we speak and trust your word, that you're going to move amongst us and cause people to see you and to trust you and to know you. In this name we pray. Everybody said, amen. The Beatitudes, the good life. I almost played that song and I realized there's some weird words in there. So I did not. But it is the good life, the Beatitudes, the good life, the blessed life, the satiated life. What does it mean for us to live like that? That's what we're exploring as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to begin this because as we were sitting together, myself, Pastor Michael, and Pastor Sarah, uh, Sarah said something so profound. So I'll begin by quoting her. She said, the Beatitudes are both an affirmation and an invitation into the kingdom of God. Pastor Sarah Smith, a.k.a. Smithsky. Like, this is what I, I actually believe as well, that as we read these, these texts, and if you guys are familiar with the Bible, there's a book called James. 
the, the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount work hand in hand. It's literally a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you guys have Bibles and you're flipping back and forth or putting notes up, trust me, you will see similarities between the two of these things. Why? Because they're literally one and the same. And tonight, we're going to use three caricatures. We're going to use the caricatures of Moses, Jesus, and David to talk about meekness. Now, I promise myself I would not say Meekness is, is not weakness, and I'm not going to walk into that. But the question we want to ask tonight is, truly, what is meekness? Now, we've seen the past two weeks, we've talked about two things. One, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the second was, blessed are those who, who mourn. And the truth of this is that these three, these verses, these truths fall one into the other. What it means to be poor in spirit doesn't mean that you are broke, okay? I know we're all college students, young adults, life is hard, but God is good. But it's not about being physically poor. It's about us understanding the weight of our sin and our needs to be with this God who knows and loves us. The Bible describes us the way he, uh, he, he speaks of us as Israel in, in the book of Hosea, in the middle of a field, a baby born in the middle of war choking on our own blood. He speaks of us as people who need life. And he says, live, and we live. We are in need of a savior. We are poor in spirit. And once you realize your need for this Jesus, your need for this God, then what happens next is you begin to say, oh my gosh, I am a sinner. Look at my life. You examine yourself and you realize I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people who have unclean lips and you mourn. Yes, over the wrong things and things that are broken in our life, but me, uh, mostly and most clearly, you begin to mourn over your own sin. You mourn over your own sin. And I would challenge you, and I'll, I'll just, just submit to you, that mourning leads to meekness. It's from that place of understanding the weight of your sin, the weight of your need for God and mourning over that brokenness that you begin to begin to be humble and gentle and be a person who is tender-hearted. There are people who describe and break down all these different words to uh, describe meekness. But the three that I've enjoyed that, as I was studying were the three that talk about how meekness is like a soothing medicine. Having some of this medicine is great. But when you have too much of it, it overwhelms you, right? You get an overdose. Or in a case where uh, it's a gentle wind, when it's a little bit, it's, it's nice. I dare say romantic. But too much of, a gent of this wind becomes a hurricane. Or the third one, which I most likely and will use as my uh, point moving forward, is this. That it's like a horse that is broken. It's like a horse that is broken. Now, how many horse people do you have in the room? Praise God. I see you. I see you. I am not a horse person. I used to have donkeys. Not the same thing, but whatever. Um, team horses. Uh, but the idea is a horse that is broken in. And what happens in this case is this. It's not that you break the spirit of the horse. Because have you guys stood next, like, next to these animals? Huge, humongous, like muscular. If that thing decided to bump you, you're done, right? But what happens is this. The horse actually submits and gets used to the hand of the master. And so what I want to describe meekness is, is as this, power under control. That when your life is used to the hand of the master, 
then you're able to be meek. You're able to walk with the strength that God provides. You're able to serve people with the strength that he himself provides. Meekness is power under control. Proverbs has this verse in 25, 28 that says, that's like a city without walls. Uh, people who are, a, a person who has no self-control is a person like, who has, is a city without walls. If you have no boundaries, no self-control, then your city is broken. These boundaries provide safety. And as we look at Matthew chapter 5, the context is this. It's a, a man called Jesus over the Sea of Galilee. And he begins to speak and preach these truths over the mountains. And people are hearing him. He has no microphone, nothing at all. And people are listening. They're paying close attention to him as he speaks truth after truth after truth. And the funny thing, he's on top of a mountain. He's flipping the world upside down. He's saying that these people should be a people who are humble and meek and poor in spirit. And in context, there are people who have the Romans' soldiers' boots on their necks. They're in captivity held by these Roman governments. And they're expecting this man who feeds 5,000 people plus to take and make an army and bring home the city of Israel, to bring the, the, the kingdom of Israel back to its original purpose. But what he does is flip it on its head and says, no, that my kingdom is not like that. And so he preaches this and it goes over across the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And he, when he gets over there, these people, these disciples, follow him along the way. Now, when we say he crossed over the Sea of Galilee, he actually walked on it. It's a cool story. Go read it for yourself. But he gets on the other side. A little thing like walking on water, you know, Jesus. Um, he gets on the other side. And we're presented with this question. He says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Now, when we hear that, we're like, oh, that's weird. That's crazy. I would never do that. But that's in our context. See, their response shows that they understood exactly what he was saying. What he was saying was this. I want you to live and love like me. You're the king. You're the one who's fed all these people and you don't have a place to lay your head. You're living like a vagabond. You're not using your power to overtake the, 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 the whole Roman government. Instead, you're serving poor people. You're doing what? You're going to do, what are you going to do on, on March 1st? Go to Joy Unleashed? Like, that's the kind of thing he's doing. He's serving the people who are, in, in general, undesirable. Those are the people he elevates and sees as high in his kingdom. So when they hear this, this is their response. The response is, on hearing it, many of his disciples, and the key word is, Disciples, people who say they are disciplined learners, who say they are Christians, who are trusting in this God as Yahweh, or at least their leader to some degree. What do they say? He sa they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? My friends, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to die to ourselves. He's not calling us to have a, a great and beautiful time. You know, no, trust me, God is great. And he gives us life and glory and grace and mercy, all these amazing things. But if you're trying to come to Jesus on your terms, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus asked them and said to them, does this offend you? Now, some of you in this room are already offended. You're like, I don't want to hear to this guy from Africa. It's done. Like, this is not what I signed up for tonight. But this is the truth. They were offended. And I expect some of you to be offended. Why? Because it's pushing against all that we know and see in our community and in our lives. But this is the beauty of it. 
that the power of the cross calls us to die to ourselves so that we can also die for others and live for him. This is what the gospel calls us to. It is a high call. And as we jump through these texts, we're going to run through three characters, like I said. And the, I would say, as we read this, this verse, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And the pathway, the true way for us to inherit the earth is through submission to its ruler. You want to inherit all that God has for you? You want to be good with God? You want to have peace with men and with God? Submit to the ruler of all the earth. And so what happens is this, in Numbers 12, 3, we read this verse of Moses. Many of you may have heard this verse if you grew up in Sunday school. If you did not, welcome to Sunday school. It says this, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Guess what? Moses wrote that. Now would a humble person write that? Arguably, no, right? But, and people make jokes and laugh about it, but guess what? We forget the context of that verse. In the first verse, the verse before that verse, what happens is this, and Miriam and Aaron began, that Aaron guy, dirty guy, horrible. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. What does that mean? They were capping on his wife, okay? That's what happened. They were capping on his wife. They were making fun of his wife. And the next verse is, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Why is that? Now, to be honest, I'm glad I'm still in process, but you step to my wife, I'm going to do all the years, okay? That's what's happening. I'm about to do all those years. Praise God. Amen. I'll do them well. I'll, I'll follow the law. That's what, I'm not running. I'm not hiding, all right? But unlike me, Moses trusted God. Moses decided not to say anything. And it says in the next verse, because I'll tell you this actually, if you guys uh, have, I guess have Netflix, Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Hulu? How many of you guys have someone else's passwords? Hey. <laughs> Cancel all your subscriptions and start reading the Bible, okay? I'm just saying right now. Because this drama is real. Guys, it's wild. This is what happens next. What happens next is at once, not 10 minutes, not five minutes, not 30, not seven days. Some of you guys are waiting for justice. We've been praying for justice for so many things. But it says, at once, immediately, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come to the tent of meeting, all three of you. That sounds heavy. At once, the voice of God, all three of you come to my office. And they all went over to the tent of meeting where God's presence was. And then Jesus, this man, uh, this man Moses stands with all his brother and his sister, and God begins to lay into these guys. He says, all these other people, these prophets, I speak to them in riddles and proverbs, and even in visions and dreams. But to my boy, this guy Moses, I speak to him face to face. Read it, Romans, um, Numbers 12. It says, with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He, seems the, he sees the form of the Lord. He sees the form, have you ever seen God? Like these are things that trip me out. He, he sees the form of the Lord. And, when, and, then, and why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burns against him and, he left, and then he left them. Now the rest of that verse tells us this, that Miriam ends up get, getting a curse from God and ends up having leprosy. And then Aaron pleads to, Aaron pleads to God, please, please, please heal my sister. And what does God say? No, if someone got leprosy, what would happen? They would have to go outside the tent for seven days and have the cleansing ritual. And then they come back in. God said, let her have the full walk of repentance. 
Moses did not have to defend himself one bit. That's meekness. That's what it means to, ha to have meekness. Meekness is a life that submits to God's will forsaking its own. My will would be to scrap, okay? My will would be to defend my wife, to fight for my wife. And Moses, I'm sure that was his will, but he decides not to do that. He submits his will to the will of the Father. He submits his will to the one who has all control over all things. And that's amazing to see. Again, meekness is a life that submits to God's will, forsaking its own. The next caricature we have is of our, our friend David. David, the man who was uh, a man after God's own heart. And in this context, this man David has been anointed king of all, over all Israel. Meaning, the prophet came to his house looking for him and anointed him as a boy to be the king of Israel. That's crazy. Talk about like America's Next Got Talent, whatever show. Like that's crazy. Like to your house and God chose you to be king. He goes up, slays Goliath, crazy thing, this, this, mount, this mountain of a man who was uh, the enemy of the people of Israel. He kills him and he ends up having the, all these people sing his praises. And afterward, what happened was basically this King Saul got so jealous of David and had David running in the hills for his life. Now, the context is, it's very difficult for us to be meek, to be humble, to be gentle when we feel we are in the right. Some of you guys have been in the car or been at dinners with my wife. I do not like being wrong. I'll tell you right now. But when I feel like I'm right, 10 toes down, my chest is up. Like, that's what I'm going to say. I'm standing on business, all right? But this is what happens. In this context, David has an opportunity to see our friend Saul, the King Saul. And you guys have maybe read the Bible story and we kind of brush over this fact. He was taking a dump, right? He's in the cave relieving himself. That's what it says. He's relieving himself. And immediately, and as he's in this position, this very compromising position, David goes out there and his, his enemies, his friends, right? His friends say, go kill Saul. Now, have you guys ever had your enemy at a place where you can clap back? Have you guys love clapping back? Oof, man, it's so fun. You snap, you clap, you do the neck thing. It's great, right? It's a whole thing. It's a whole vibe. And you feel better about yourself. But what happens here is this. David goes out there and he cuts a bit of this man's robe. And he steps back. And this is what meekness looks, by, looks like. This is his response after not killing him, not stabbing him. He's the rightful king of Israel. What is, it, what is David's response? Afterward, it says David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He's conscience stricken. He's broken inside himself because he just cut off a piece of the robe. How many times have you like gossiped about someone and felt really good? It feels the greatest thing to like, it's just so good, juicy morsel of gossip. It's the best, right? Like we just lean into these things. We lean into clapping back and talking behind people's backs, right? Or, or, or getting people back. We do that all the time. But he just cut his robe and felt broken on the inside. And then he moves forward. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed. He rebukes his, his, his friends in verse 7. He says, I won't do that to the Lord's anointed. Then verse 7, he rebukes his friends. This man who's done him nothing but wrong. That's what it looks like to be meek, to be a person who then trusts him. Now, it goes further. This is crazy. In the next verse, verse, uh, verse 11, 
uh, actually verse 8, it says that David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. So the picture is he went in, cut his, stepped out, rebuked his friends. That's my guy. I'm not doing anything wrong. Then he goes, Saul. And what does he call him? Read with me. He says, Saul. Oh my gosh. My Lord, the king. He calls him by the title that's not his. He calls him Lord. He calls him king. And in the next verse, he calls him father. How much respect can you give someone who's done you so wrong? He calls him Lord. He calls him king. He calls him father. He goes, I've done nothing to you. In fact, in context of that verse, he says, are you chasing after a flea? Are you chasing after a dog? He makes himself seem small and to seem useless in the midst of the situation. This is what it looks like to be meek. He says in 1 Samuel 24, 14 through 15, against whom has a king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. He stands on business. He goes, hey, hey, hey. I, I, it's, I'm not doing anything. I'm so, I don't want to do anything to you. I love you. You are my king. You are my Lord. You're my father. But let God be the judge between the two of us of who's living righteously. What meekness does is it entrusts its life to the master. And that's what he does in that text. And I think that comes specifically because this man, David, has spent so much time in the word of God, feeding on the truths of who God is, that in the midst of all these trials, he's not confused or concerned. In fact, what happens, I, I think ultimately the word of God is, has seated itself so deeply inside his heart that he trusts it. What a novel idea. What a novel idea to know the word of God, to trust the word of God or trust God at his word. And he does that. The word itself James 1.21 tells us that we are to be a people who put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to do what? Read it with me. Save your souls. These are not games. This is about your soul. It's not about good works. It's about saving your actual soul. Reading this word, having this word, hiding it in your heart is about saving your soul. And the word, the word itself comes with power only as we grow in submission and meekness to it. That's how it comes with power. You can talk all you want and quote all the verses, but if you don't stand on those verses, it's nothing. It's nothing. And that word is sharper than any two-edged sword can divide between what? Soul and spirit just goes all the way deep and speaks truth. People have used the word to cause injustices. It's a great, powerful word. But unless you submit to the truth of who it is, Jesus, you will not have the power that comes from it. 521 tells us this in Ephesians, that we to be a people who submit one to another in love. To submit one to another in love. Why? Because we're submitting to God's people. I say this because ultimately... I strongly believe that meekness can only grow in a context where you're amongst the people of God. That's it, right? Meekness grows to the discipline of committed relationships. That's what happens. That's how you begin to be meek. And I think ultimately, that's the reason why some of us are single. You know why? Because you refuse to commit. You, you barely have like 
a solid subscription? Seven days, seven days, seven. How many emails do you have? Let's be real. Like, let's talk about that, right? In the room real quick. Like, let's be honest. The reason why you jump out of relationships is because you're unlikely ready to commit. When the minute something goes wrong, eject. <laughs> There's so many fish in the... Thank you. All right. Right, that's, what we, that's how we live. We are uncommitted people. We only care about ourselves. And so what, what I've learned, and you guys are trying to be married, if that's your goal, what it means is, is that you're going to ultimately die every day. I don't even like this shirt. Just kidding. No, I love this shirt. It's great. But there's a lot of things that you give up of yourself because you are giving yourself to solid, consistent relation. That's why being in this room every single week, hearing the word of God is key. That's why being in a small group is key. Because people see you face to face, they know what's going on in your life, and they ask you the hard questions. How did that breakup go? Tears watering. It's okay. Be real in that moment. Hey, did you get that job? I did. Praise God. It's amazing. And then you learn to rejoice with other people when they get a job and you don't have a job. Right? It's, it's, it's what happens when you are amongst the people of God. Meekness grows in that space. The question is then, how can we be a people who grow in meekness? How do we grow in meekness? There's a few ways we're going to look at this for us to grow in meekness. One, this is the 10-part uh, part of our sermon. You guys ready? 10 points. Praise God. More than the average American pastor because I'm from Africa. Here we go. Number one. Moderate your expectations of others. Just moderate your expectation of others. Now, I'm going to put it how the Bible says it, then I'll reword it in our like local slang, whatever. Here we go. It says this in the Bible, Psalms 103, 13 through 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows these are just, they're just dust people. They're gonna, they're just dusty, right? They they mess up all the time, right? They're just, I did call you dusty. Uh, they are like untrustworthy, blown by every wind, every fashion trend that comes out. Kanye's in, Kanye's out now. Like it's just so many things. It just changes all the time. He knows that we are dust, and so he gives us his son and he gives us grace. That's what happens. And so what I expect from you and what God expects from us and what he expects us to give to other people is grace. Because grace is not just pardon from sin. It's power to live a godly life. Because you've been forgiven much, then you also love much. So moderate your expectation of other people. That doesn't mean it's a glass, glass a half full or half empty deal. No, just, just say, this is real. People are broken. That's okay. I'm going to love them anyway. That's it. That's how you live. Two, find joy in the evidences of God's grace, all right? This requires you to actually read your Bible, all right? I'll tell you right now. This is what's going to happen. Like, how do you find joy in the evidence of God's grace? You actually look for it in the Scripture. The Bible talks about the Bible being a space where it's a whole, a whole field, salvation, a whole field, that you, you sell everything to get that one piece in the back of that field. You sell everything to get that one thing. The Bible says that Job desired God's word more than necessary food. How do you find joy? By getting in a relationship with joy. Eat that book. Take time to take it in and grow. 
find joy in the evidences of God's grace. And Philippians 4, 8 tells us this, that when we read this verse, when we read the Bible, ultimately this is what we see. When we read our word, we see this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, what can you really say is admirable, pure, lovely, don't say Taylor, we're going to scrap, okay? No, right? Um, it's, not, it's not Taylor, I'm sorry, right? Like, what are these things that are truly pure and truly admirable that has nothing attached to it? There's nothing. What he's telling us to do is what Hebrews 12, 1 tells us, that we're to be a people who fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We are to gaze into the eyes of the one who died for us and see him and know him and love him and trust him and find joy for the next day. That's how you're going to survive this. Let me remind you, you are in transit. This is not your home. And for you to have the energy to get into the vehicle of Jesus, you have to be in his word to know him, to have the power to move forward. Amen? All right. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 again tells us the same thing. But the third point would be this. Remember how much you have been, say it with me, forgiven. Remember how much you have been forgiven. You have to remember how much you've been forgiven. Because otherwise, you'd be running amok. It's not like, let's be real. Right? You do all the things. When you're like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. I, I, I did worse. And so I need, to, I need to calm down. I need to sit down and be humble. <laughs> Whoa, you left a little too hard on that one, girl. <laughs> right? But praise God, right? Luke 7.47 tells us this. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This is the lady who most people presume was a prostitute. Now, we don't know for sure, but some people presume that. And she comes to this space where all these men would judge her and basically kill her, throw stones at her. But she goes, man, she comes down and she pours out all of her perfume upon Jesus because she remembers how much she has been saved, how much God has saved her from. When you understand the wrath of God, right? And people say hell is, is where, like, is like the absence of God. No, it's the presence of his full wrath, okay? That's what hell is, the presence of God's full wrath. You can't truly understand the full grace of God until you understand what you've been saved from. Otherwise, you, you treat it like it's cheap, like it's cheap grace, like it's not real, like it's not important. Have you guys ever done that? Like, you, you, you get a Christmas gift and you're like messing around, whatever. Then you like, you're, I'm going to wear these in the snow. Ha, ha, ha. Then you like look at these shoes and you're like, oh my gosh, the price tag. Woo. Shoe cleaner. <laughs> like, just like keep it like better. Why? Because you understand the expense, the cost of it. The way we live reflects the magnitude of our gratitude. That's what happens next. The people who are meek are full of gratitude. They're thankful, grateful people. Ephesians 5, they're people who sing songs to God one to another, psalms and hymns. They're full of the Spirit. That's what it says. Submitting one to another in love. Point four, take time before you form judgments. Man, you guys ever been in trouble where you like make a judgment before you actually know all the information and you were wrong? <sighs> this morning for me. Anyway, James 1.19 tells us this. Know this, my beloved brothers. 
Let everyone or every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Slow to anger. In fact, uh, the psalmist David tells us this. He got all angry and all excited. This is the guy who writes, God, take out the arms of my enemies and rip them out. This is him. This is the guy. David, he says, in my haste, all men are liars. I said in my haste. I made a mistake. I was too hasty. I ran to the finish line to make a judgment too quick and called all men liars. He made a mistake. He realizes that. So truly, we should be a people who take time to form before we make our judgments on people or on things. Why do I, why do I say that? Because ultimately, we're too, we're too unqualified to actually make judgments. We really are. Many of us are in debt because we made bad judgments, right? But you want to cancel a whole human being? Crazy. You're all wild. Like, underneath your bed is dirty, right? And you're not living with your parents. Like, really? Like, you want to make judgments on people, but on the small things we, we miss out. We are unqualified to make judgments. And so all we should do is hold off, pause, reflect. What should happen first is we should put humility to be our first response, not our last resort. Meekness should be our first response. It should be something we should step into first before standing 10 toes down with our chests out. Come at me, bro. Don't do it, right? Allow there to be space. Next one, five. Make friends with meek people, right? Not meek mill, but meek people, right? <laughs> I sound like, what's that guy? He, he barks when he raps. Weak people. Who is that guy? <laughs> ah, that guy. Oh, thank you. Oh, make friends with meek people, right? Now, the Bible tells us that um, bad character corrupts good mor morals. What that means practically is this. It doesn't mean that uh, because uh, Nikki's a thief, Nikki's not a thief, but if she was a thief, praise God. Um, if Nikki was a thief, me hanging out with Nikki, uh, I would not necessarily become a thief, but I might be more inclined to not like judge Nikki because she stole. I just be like, whatever. And so when someone starts cussing and you hang out more, you're like, oh, Father God. You just like, things just start coming out normally. Why? Because your, your, your conscience begins to be split. And so the other way around, it also happens. As you hang out with people who are, I dare say, as the world calls it, positive, people who love Jesus, who live and love like Jesus, who are emulating the joy of God, your life will change. Ultimately, you get exposed to the truth and you have to make a decision at least. You have to make a decision. You either reject it or say, you know what? You really are a Christian and I want to follow the Jesus you serve, right? So hang out with people who are meek. The next one would, would be this. Learn to take pleasure in the joy of others, all right? Learn to take joy in the pleasures that other people have. Romans 12, 15 tells us that we should be a people who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's what makes our community strong and loving and wholesome because we learn to enjoy that. Now, it's easy for us to take uh, joy in people's sorrows, Right? Because when something happens and goes wrong, it's like, ah, I understand that. That could happen to me, right? That's easy. But to be like, bro, you got that job? You got that girl? You got that? And, and you're still single. And you're still trying, like, you're still, your car is going, and your car is broken down. You have no spare on your tire. Like, you have no spare in your trunk at all. Like, to be able to 
enjoy and celebrate other people's life experiences is the actual work. Because it takes you stepping aside and saying, I, I, I want to re rejoice in what God's doing in your life, right? You rejoice in what God is doing in their life. And so if you've grown up in church before, you've heard this, this acronym to focus on joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then yourself. Like to put yourself last is to really trust God for all things. Because ultimately, when you go to a party and they say, it's time to eat, all the little kids run up. And ultimately inside, you want to be that little kid in the front line. <laughs> like you want to be the person in the barbecue, if you're invited to the barbecue, to get like that food. Like that's you, right? That's you. But ultimately he says, no, Jesus first, put others second and then yourself last. Seven, discern God's hand in the work of your enemies. Woo! My enemies are looking for me, right? Like discern God's hand in the work of your enemies. What does that mean ultimately? Well, in the book of John, uh, this is the only place it happens because the book of John tells us that Jesus is God and writes us so. 2021 tells us that this book is written to teach us that Jesus is God. And by believing in his name, you'll have eternal life. And only in the book of John, when they come to arrest Jesus, he says, they ask, where is this guy, the king of the Jews? Where is Jesus? And he says, I am. And all the soldiers fall back on the ground. This is why people believe this man, Peter, right? Because Peter was lying on Jesus later on. This is why Peter decides to go up and cut this man's ear off. Because ultimately, he was sleeping, not awake, waiting for his friend, right? Wake up, be with me. <laughs> sleeping, right? Useless. But he sees this happen. He has all the gusto to go up and cut this man, Malchus, Malchus's ear off. And then we read this. Jesus' response to John, to Peter. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now between you and us on this side of the cross, we understand that Jesus had to die. And if Jesus did not die, we would not be here today celebrating who, what he has done. We would not be going to heaven having new life in him. But Peter didn't fully trust that. How many times did Jesus say that? Hey, I'm gonna go away for a little while, come back. He didn't trust it. We have to be able to trust that God's hand is in the midst of it. I'll say it this way. When you don't see God's hand, you can trust that his heart is for you. When you don't see God's hand, you can trust that his heart is for you. And ultimately what happens, we have to come to Jesus on his terms, not ours. Trust that his hand is for you. This verse we, we sing about often, it says, when the, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. And I dare say, I'll still sing it, but it's incorrect. That verse correctly says this, that what you meant for evil, Joseph speaking to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Meaning he used his brother's jealousy and Potiphar's wife's promiscuity and the servants who left him in this jail cell for two years. I'll remember you left him for two years. To him then becoming the king, not the king, but the second command, only second to the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, simply to save Joseph's family, to keep a promise, not to Joseph, but to Abraham, way before, to make sure that Abraham's people are, are kept. So I would ask, as you go through hard moments, 
ask yourself, God, what are you doing in the midst of all these things? God, what are you truly moving and organizing that I do not see? Nine, anticipate all that God has promised. Think about it. All that God has promised. How do you have hope for tomorrow? Read your Bible. Man, just kidding. Wait. No, for real though. But for real. How do you have hope for tomorrow? Matthew 5, 5 tells us this. This is where I get hope. It says that if I am meek, I will, with me, I will inherit the earth. That's how I have hope for tomorrow. Because I know if today I'm being me, guess what? I'm depositing something in heaven that God's going to take care of me down the line. And if he doesn't, praise be to his name. Because he's good. And Hebrews 10, 34 allows us to join these people who say this ultimately. There are people who say, you suffered along. I'll read it from this way. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. What gives me hope to have future grace? The grace that God has done in the past. I can look back to past graces and look forward to future graces and have confidence that God will take care of me. 10, ask God. Ask this God. How do you grow more meek? Ask this God. Yes, seek him in his words. Seek him in prayer, but talk to him. He's close to the next breath. He's with you. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Ask him. Ask him to speak to you. And he has promised if you call out to him that he will indeed answer. These verses tell us this in the book of James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding amongst you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, ask to the one who gives generously. He's not stingy like me, all right? I throw hands, try Jesus, not me. Like, it's all kinds of things, right? But he himself is generous, a generous giver, a glorious God who loves us. Ultimately, what happens is this. The meek person has ultimately to die to himself. This is what Jesus does. How does Jesus do it? He dies to himself. He gives of all of who he is. He tells us in 1 Peter that then they hurled insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What would it look like the next time someone does something to you? Will you choose meekness? Will you choose to be like Jesus? Will you choose to die to yourself. And what happens sometimes, we end up being like, like these servants. How many of you guys, you, you love to serve in the body of Christ? Love to serve? Can I have three people who love to serve? Let's come on up real quick. If you say you love to serve, you love to serve the people of God, come on up real quick. Praise God. I have three people. One, two, and three. Praise God. Look at that. Right? So what I want you to do right now, I want you to serve someone. And I want, what I want you to serve them is this bread, because it's bulk season. It's always bulking season. <sighs> Big old buns. Praise God. It sounded weird. <laughs> so here you go, right? I want you to serve someone, right? Someone in this, in this audience, find someone who you really want to give, like, like just love and attention, right? Not your Valentine, sorry. But just give them some love, right? Wait, go give them some love. Go find someone, right? Find someone, and stop. All right. We got Zach. We got Emily. All right. All right. All right. All right. Wait, 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 wait. Now you have to eat it. 
No, they have to eat it. You've been served. <laughs> now, the truth is this, right? If you guys didn't know, these plates, do they look clean to you? Can I see that? Can I see that plate? Is, is this, will you eat off this plate? No? Why not? Why wouldn't you just relish eating off this plate? Why not? Because it's dirty. It's dirty. But what happens is we are committed to giving our gifts away, but not committed to putting on humility and putting on meekness. And what happens is people cannot receive from you. Now, ultimately, if you ate from this plate, you might get diarrhea. <laughs> right? But there may be some of you who eat from this plate. You may eat from this plate and it will be all good. Guess what? Some of us are like this. We have more trust in our gifts and our abilities and our ability to be nice and to show face, but not being willing to be committed to being meek or putting on humility and trusting God. And you're willing to sacrifice. Now, truly, will, will God still bless people? He can bless people. We just joked about Kanye. Weren't people who listened to Jesus is King? Weren't they blessed? I still bumped that in my car, all right? Pray for yay. But this is the thing. That as you, as you, as you learn, ultimately, to come to a space where you're honest with yourself. Where are my servants? Where are my servants at? If you learn to come to a space where you ultimately come to Jesus for you to be a vessel of honor, for you to be someone who actually lives and loves like Jesus, you have to come to the washing of the word of God. You have to learn to be in humility and community with people, right? It takes work. Oh man, Thursday, I'm tired. I want to stay on my phone in my free parents' Wi-Fi and surf the internet. I don't want to, right? Small group, small group for what? They're going to know all my business. What? I'm struggling with pornography. I don't want to be real about that, but I want to be free. I, dare, I deeply want to be free, but I don't want to be honest about it. I, I don't want to do the work. But if you, you do the work, what happens is you end up being free. And people can be blessed by the fullness of who you're meant to be. Why? Because ultimately, you can be saved. You can come to a space where you trust God. Allow your life to be changed by the power of the gospel in some sense, right? But ultimately, the, the way you live is this. Meekness is your ministry. How do people know about Jesus? Because of how you live. Because of how you love. Because of your patience. Because of your action or the lack thereof. And as the worship team comes up, what I want to encourage you or ask you is this. Are you used to the hand of God in your life? Are you submitted to the power of God in your life? Have you allowed your hearts to be gentled, to be tender-hearted, to be softened, to be cleaned, to be made whole by the hand of God? Or are you living by some other measure, by some other mark? My friends, God has called us to live and love like him. And ultimately, that means that we are a people who choose 
to live a life of meekness. And what I pray today is that as we leave this place, that you make a decision to deny yourself and ask God to ultimately take over, to ask God to fill the spaces where there's lack and the in-betweens, that let him fill your all in all because he wants to do that and he's able to do just that. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the power of your truth, that you call us to be a people who are meek, who submit our will to your will, to be a people who in the midst of our pain choose to ask you to be the righteous judge, to come in and to be our hero, Lord. And Lord, it's difficult, especially when we feel that we are the ones who have the right to do so. But Lord, you gave us an example. And in your example, you died and gave us the power to do the same thing. But you didn't stay dead. You rose again with power. You gave that to us, Lord God. And we have hope because of that, Lord. I ask you to give my brothers and sisters in this room strength to live lives that are full of your meekness. And our gospel said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.